0: What is your cartouche? We've all got one, but few of us have ever seen it. In archaeology, a cartouche is an oval or oblong enclosing a group of Egyptian hieroglyphs, typically representing the name or title of a monarch. That came directly from the dictionary. You may have seen a cartouche. Sometimes it'll be in the shape, the, the oblong or the oval be in the shape of a rope, and then down the bottom, the ends of the rope will be overlapping, and then there will be rope around the overlapping ends to kind of tie it off neatly and inside then are little pictures so it's interesting hieroglyphs and this again is from the dictionary hieroglyphs are stylized pictures of an object representing a word syllable or sound stylized means depict or treat in a mannered or non-realistic style so they're not true to life pictures but they're stylized Now, it's also interesting that the word cartoon comes from the same word that cartouche comes from, which is a French word meaning card. What we're talking about is really stylized pictures that represent something. They can represent a word, a syllable, a sound, but they can also represent a part of your life. They can represent an action. They can represent an idea. Everyone has their own cartouche, this set of pictures that's inside of this oblong or round enclosed area. And this set of pictures represents this person, this monarch. I told you this was great. It's great because I I just love being able to find new ways to talk about the same old thing. Because every time we get an opportunity to look at it in a new way, it gives us a valuation. You're smiling. You're smiling like, well, that's pretty clever. And you can value it because it's fresh, it comes from somewhere other than the books, it comes from somewhere other than other people, it comes from inside, it comes from a connection with something deeper. And when we're around people who make that connection, it's always kind of like being in a breeze, It's like just if you're out in the desert and all of a sudden a cool fresh breeze blows up off of the oasis and wham, it hits you in the face and all you've smelled is desert air and now you smell date palms and dates and you smell the water and when you're in the desert you can smell water. Water smells like something. You know It's like if you haven't been to the ocean for a long time and you go to the ocean. And it's like the ocean smells like the ocean and you know you're at the ocean. It's like all of a sudden you feel exhilarated and refreshed because you're at the ocean. Well, you go to the mountains and you smell the pines for the first time and you open the car door and you smell the pines. You smell the mountain air and you... Oh, yeah, you feel refreshed. And it's more than just that. We know that it's also the negative ions. As we're around the city and the smog and the electricity, that all of the positive ions, all of our ions turn positive and start to cling to us. And, and so we get electrically imbalanced. And so we go to the ocean or we go to the mountains where there are lots of negative ions. And the the positive ions and the negative ions meet and the next thing you know you're discharging all of your positive ions you're discharging all your positive ions and you're getting a better balance with all the negative ions and you just all of a sudden feel refreshed and exhilarated and kind of happy and like yeah I could do things and this is great this is why people do these things they go to discharge all the positive ions that they've collected and that they've generated through their negative thinking negative thinking creates positive ions what Yes, negative thinking creates positive ions, and it charges us with positive ions. We get overcharged with positive ions. And nature is filled with negative ions, so it discharges all of that stuff. So here we are. In this work, we must be able to see our stylized pictures of ourselves. To see them is not to be them. To see them is not to be them. I'll say this a number of times. To see anything is not to be it. As we discussed last week, what happens when you can see something about yourself is you've created a little bit of space between yourself and that thing that you can see. It takes time to cross that space. The more space you've created, the more time it takes to cross it. And so when you've created space and more space and more space, you have more of an opportunity to not behave in an old way to not react in an old way, to not allow something that you would normally allow, to not allow that. You can simply stop that and say no to that, not let it cross the space. You have a chance. Now, there are other times, as Arthur pointed out, his week was a little bouncy because he had the space sometimes but then other times where he hadn't worked in this area with this person or that person he didn't have the space and the next thing he knew he was right up against it and so as soon as the guy said something his reaction was instantaneous and he was he fell back into old patterns when you fall back into old patterns it doesn't mean you're a bad person and it doesn't mean that it didn't that the work didn't work what it means is, is you haven't created the space in that particular area. You've created the space in another area. It's like cleaning your house. You you vacuum and you work in just one one room. Let's say you just get the kitchen squared away, and you do all the polishing and cleaning and everything that you don't you usually do. You know, so you get out the brush and you scrub all around the the faucet where it gets kind of gunky, and you usually just wipe it. But now you scrub it all, and you do this and you you take all these things that you usually just have sitting around and you put them in the dishwasher and you wash them all and you clean them all and then you put them back up after you've dusted and cleaned and you do this and you do so you really do a deep thorough cleansing. And then you turn around and you look at the dining room and it's a mess. (laughs) And it's like, oh, all this work I did and I didn't even make a dent in it. Well, it's because you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at what you didn't put the work into, not what you did put the work into. And we think that cleaning means that everything will be clean. No, only what we clean will be clean. So only where we create the space will the space be. And so when you find yourself right up against it, then that's an area you need to look at. That's an area you need to work in. That's an area you need to create some space in. That's an area you need to see rather than be. So if you can see it, you're not being it. And that's the idea with that. Without this separation, inner development is impossible. We remain the same, with the same outer manifestations, the same feeling of I, and then we're doomed to repeat everything that we have done in our whole lives, just like a hamster running on a wheel. And we call it good exercise, but have you ever noticed how fat hamsters are? (laughs) <laughs> really, they're just like these little lumpy, blumpy things. Well, where's the exercise in that? You know, where are the curves in that? Well, I don't see it myself. So I'm wondering if it's really that, that good an exercise. I'm, not, I'm thinking maybe it's not. If we want to change, you know, if you want to be a more shapely hamster, you're going to have to do some different kind of exercise than running on the wheel. So to read our cartouche, we need a Rosetta Stone. Yeah, you knew where this was going, or maybe you didn't know this, where, where this was going. The Rosetta Stone is an inscribed stone that was found near Rosetta on the western mouth of the Nile in 1799. They were digging around the Nile, and they came across this stone, big black stone, and say actually just a piece of a stone, but it's, it's big. I mean, it's not big like you could pick it up in your hand and carry it around. Its text is written in three scripts, hieroglyphic, demotic, and Greek. For those of you who are not into the history of in, uh, Egyptology and archaeology and this kind of thing. Jean-François Champollion, who was a linguist, deciphered the hieroglyphs between 1822 and 1824, unlocking Egypt's mysteries. Until then, nobody could read the hieroglyphs. Nobody, you could, they found these cartouches, they didn't know what they were. Nobody could really read them. And and it's so much like it's so much like us. Here we have these pictures of ourselves, but we can't really read them. We haven't found the key that unlocks the mystery of ourselves, the mystery of false personality, the mystery of who we actually are compared to who life has made us out to be. Esoteric teaching is a Rosetta Stone that we have to decipher in order to discover the mystery of our own being. So Rosetta Stone, the Rosetta Stone, was the stone that was discovered in 1799. Rosetta Stones are stones that are keys that unlock help decipher. In a sense, esoteric teaching is a Rosetta Stone to the human condition. It's what helps us to get outside of ourselves so that we can get help from somewhere else. You see, all these people for hundreds of years tried to understand the hieroglyphs, but they never could. When they found this Rosetta Stone, and what it was was this text, whatever the text was, and it doesn't really matter what the text was, but it was written in three languages. So, there was the text here that said the same thing as the text here and the same thing as the text here. This person who could read Greek then started to decipher. Incidentally, uh, Champollion could speak, Google this guy, Jean-François uh, Champollion. He was a linguist. He it, it just boggled the mind, the languages that this guy spoke. Like, by the time he was 20, he spoke like 10 languages. And I'm not talking, you know, like... French and English and German. I'm talking Chinese, Coptic, you know, all these weird languages. And you go, no way this guy could read and write and speak these things. He was, when he was 10, he could speak like seven languages or something like that. So he was truly a gifted linguist. Because of him, people began to unlock the mysteries of the Egyptian culture. And we started to find all these things that, that we, were, we were completely blind to prior to that and so in a sense esoteric teachings are the same thing for us and they give us the key to unlock this great mystery of who we are and what we are they'd see this little thing in the sand and for for hundreds of years they thought the sphinx was just this head that was the only thing that was sticking up in this out of the sand when they finally uncovered it and saw this huge statue this huge body it was like oh my gosh esoteric teaching is like that. It gives us the ability to, to get down underneath all of the things that are covering up what we truly are. So what about us is true, it's just a little point is sticking up out of the sand. And as we begin to uncover that, to discover, to move away the things that are not that, we find out who we really are and what we are here for and what our true purpose is, what our capabilities are, what... Our destiny is. When we find that out, then we have some valuation. The evalu- Can you see how the valuation increases when you start to find out, look, you're not a toaster, you know, you're not a, a DVD player, you're not a CD player, you're not a, a car, you know, you are much more than that. You are more than the factory that makes them. You are more than the designer that created them. You are more than all of that. We start to get an idea of it and it's like, wow, then we want to uncover more so that we can find out more about ourselves. For example, few people realize how they enjoy suffering. It's not something that people go around in life realizing, oh boy, I really enjoy suffering. Oh, negative emotions are so delicious to me. People don't admit that. And they don't admit it because they can't see it. They can't see it because they're being it. You see these long-suffering, long-faced, whiny people go around with their stories. When you begin to see it about yourself, you think about them, Man, they really don't get it, do they? And then you find yourself right back in it in some area where you had not done the work and you didn't create the space so you can't see it about yourself. And someone else goes, oh, so this is your story, huh? And it's like, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no is a good answer. It's a kind of an instant answer. So people don't realize how, the, how they enjoy their suffering. They don't, en- they don't realize how much account keeping they do. Uh, They don't realize how much they enjoy their negative emotions and self-justification. These are parts of the cartouche representing the name of a monarch, the tyrant king who enslaves the reality of our being. Each one of us has our own cartouche, our own special personality, false personality, our own set of pictures that perfectly describes the tyrant king that is keeping us, the true, the real of us, enslaved. And because we can't see it, We have to be it. But as we learn through esoteric teachings, the Rosetta Stone that unlocks the secret writing, the secret pictures so that we see this is what we pretend to be and this is what we don't see, that the rest of the world sees what we don't see. The rest of the world can read our cartouche, but we can't. We're blind to it. But esoteric teachings give us the ability to read our own cartouche to find out just what kind of tyrants we actually are. Wow, how exciting. Who wants to find out what kind of tyrant they are? Nobody. We want to just cover that over again. No, let's just hide that. But the thing is, when the pain gets bad enough, when the suffering gets severe enough, when we suffer enough, when we're in enough misery, then it's like, okay, 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 I'll take a look. Maybe it is me, but I'm pretty sure you're wrong. But at least I'm willing to look. And when we become willing to look, then esoteric teachings begin to take on a different meaning for us. So I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying it's pleasant. I'm just saying that when we've had enough, we can start to look, and there is a way out. Name means nature. Until we see the cartouche that the world has given us, we can't separate from it. You remember, see it or be it. This is your choice in your life. You can see it or you can be it, but that's it. So either you're going to see what you are being, or you're going to be what you are being and the moment you begin to see it in that moment you have created a little bit of space a little bit of separation and you have some choices maybe not big choices but in that moment you have the choice to keep on seeing it to remember what you saw to see it again to make note of it and to face it which is a big huge commitment willing to face yourself just willing to face something unpleasant about yourself it's a big deal it may not seem like a big deal well, especially when we're telling somebody else something about them. Well, this is what you're like, and you should just face that. Well, that's great. But when we're telling ourselves that, well, this is what you're, this is what you're like, and, and I should just face what I'm like. It's not as pleasant. It's not as easy. And then next thing you know, you do that a couple of times, and you start to have compassion for the people you used to be pointing the finger at and telling. This is what you need to do. And now you look and say, well, maybe this is what I need to do. It just gives you a little space to maybe think about it differently. This is the beginning. This is where it starts. This is a good thing. Many people hold themselves too tightly, too rigidly, and they don't see that. They just hold themselves tightly. You do this in certain areas of your own life. There are certain areas where you are very unyielding, very inflexible. You hold yourself too tightly. If someone says this about you, you can laugh. If someone says that about you, you can feel the tweak because it's too tight. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And we can't see that about ourselves. We don't see that about ourselves. When we're lacking flexibility, we see only one side of things. We feel only one side. To shift our feeling of I, we must be able to see more than one side. So in Arthur's case, what he shared with us this morning about this conflict with this person he volunteers with, he couldn't see the person's side. He could only see his side and it created a conflict. Now that he's created a little bit of space and stepped back from it, he's seeing it and not being it. He sees now that the other person was doing what they were doing, but the problem was his reaction to what the other person was doing he had a negative reaction to what the other person was doing. Had he had some more understanding of what the other person was dealing with, how the other person was dealing with it, what his own limit, what that other person's limitations were, then he could have had some more compassion and seen it in a different light, seen both sides together, seen a more whole picture, and had a more whole response rather than a half-witted reaction. I just made that up, so I wasn't really name-calling. But we have half-witted reactions due to our inability to see the whole picture. We see one-sided, so it's, we see half of something. And so we basically only respond with half our wits, half our abilities, half the potential that we have. And that's not good enough. In many circumstances, it simply isn't good enough to resolve the situation in a positive way. So we need more. And the more that we need is within us. We need to bring more from ourselves. To the situation not demand more from the other person we automatically demand more from the other person but when we're in a situation that is unpleasant what we need to remember is that in this situation i need to give more but we don't do that we say well he needs to change well she needs to stop that well they need to no i need to give more but see without the rosetta stone so that we can see our own cartouche We don't have this key that unlocks this so that we begin to see, I need to give more. After we start to see what we're like and we see what life is like and we see that everyone has a cartouche, everyone has these series of pictures that they have of themselves and that when those pictures are offended, they are offended. (laughs) They're just cartoons, people. They're cartoons. There's nothing to get offended about. It's not who you are. But until we have the Rosetta Zone, that can show us that, until we have these esoteric teachings that can begin to unlock that for us. We are locked into that. We think that's who we are. And we will defend it by cracking someone's skull if it comes to that. Or by going to war and killing them, or destroying a nation, or... or, spending billions of dollars every day to keep a war going. What a great idea that is. Who thought of that? Well, we thought of that. We have to be responsible for it. We think of that. When we react negatively to one person, we are adding to the wars. We are doing it. We are adding our vote to the war. And so, would we like to blame one person, oh, it's his war. You have allowed this whole system, because you have allowed your cartouche to go undeciphered because you have not seen this violent warlike self picture that you have created that you are that life has created you to be a buffer is a dead area that prevents us from seeing outside the cartouche in a sense you could you could say that this thing that encloses you know this rope that encloses the pictures the cartouche is like a buffer in a sense you could say that i wouldn't necessarily say that but you could say that but the thing is is that something keeps us from seeing And that something is this dead area that we can't see through. It's just this block dead area that we can't see through. And so we have to get rid of that. We have to dissolve that dead area in order to be able to see these pictures. And instead of dissolving the dead area, what we generally do is we generally defend it. We protect it. We're full of buffers. And to be full of buffers means that we can't see. And remember what I said. You see it or be it. That's how it is. That's your choice. You can either see it or you can be it. But you can't do both. The moment that you begin to see it, you are no longer being it to the degree that you are seeing it. You are no longer being it. This is the little bit of movement, as Gurdjieff said, that the violin has in the violin case. Just a little bit of movement. But that little bit of movement can make things happen. Buried in each one of us is a Rosetta Stone. Our problem is how to find it, then decipher it, and then apply what it says to our own cartouche. That's our task. That's our job, to find it. First, in order to find it, you've got to know it's there. We could go searching the whole earth for a Rosetta Stone for our personal cartouche. But interestingly enough, it's hidden in the last place we'll ever look, inside of us. So it's in there, and it's a matter of connecting up with it. How do we connect up with it? Well, fortunately, there are other people who have left signs who have connected up, and they've left signs and directions and maps and saying, look, this is how you can find it inside in your internal country. This is how you can find it. This is what you can do. Don't sit there and wait for me to do it for you, even though I'd love to do it for you. It's not possible. So you have to do it. We've lost touch with all that is important to us. The things that are really of importance, we've lost touch with and all that could guide us out of our misery, we've lost touch with those things. How have we lost touch with those things? By valuing things that are not valuable. For example, we'll go and work 40 or 50 hours a week to earn money for a vacation or a car or this or that, something that really isn't that important. And we won't work a tenth of that time on ourselves, esoterically. You can't get people to sit down and meditate for anywhere near the time that they will go and spend on leisure, movies, work, laying around. You can't get people to do that, because they see no value in it. Because what is not of importance has been made important to them. They have made it important. They have made those things important, because they do not see the value of deciphering the cartouche, finding their own Rosetta Stone, finding their way through this. They haven't seen the value of it. Because they can't see the value of it, what is important to them, they have made unimportant. And what is unimportant, they have made important. And this is a malady of our society today, in fact, of most of the world, most of the civilized world. What is important to most of the civilized world are really things that are in the final end game, are not worth anything at all, are completely unimportant. And it's sad that people get to the end of their lives and figure that out. It's sad that people get to the end of their lives and figure out that their kids grew up and got married and had children of their own, and they never got to spend any time with them because they were working or because they were doing what they wanted to do. And they could never be with their own children. They could never be with their own husband or wife. And so when the kids are out of the nest, then the husband and wife get a divorce because they don't know what to do with each other anymore. Because the husband worked and the wife took care of the kids and... And they don't know what to do with each other anymore. So they don't know who the other person is and rather than find out, be with that person and find out and start to have the relationship that they didn't have, they get divorced and go have some other relationship with a secretary or a uh, bus driver or whatever people do. I don't know what people do and it's crazy. They miss their lives because they're valuing what's not valuable. They're making important what's not important. Our cartouche is an artificial feeling of I based on what we admire about ourselves. You know, look, people, we all admire things about ourselves, whether we, we like to admit it or not. There are things that we admire about ourselves. If you want to know what you admire about yourself, just look at what you criticize in other people. That's what you admire about yourself. you are loyal, then you criticize other people's disloyalty. You are good with money, then you criticize other people who are not good with money. You are in control of yourself, then you criticize people who are not in control of themselves. Whatever it is you admire about yourself, you criticize in another. Ah, ah, ah. This is the great way to find out what it is. We, well, I don't admire anything about myself. Well, okay, then just take a look at it. Just make a little list of the things you criticize in other people. Then, turn that around. Put that in the mirror, and you will see that these are the things that you admire about yours. Well, I don't particularly admire that about myself. I don't think that I'm really good at that. Sure you do. That's why you're criticizing other people, because you think you're better than them. You criticize because you think you're superior. You think you do it better. You think you're superior in that area. That's why you criticize. Because I tell you what, when it comes to somebody who's in the same hole that we're in, we don't criticize them. We go, man, <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> or, or we sit and have a nice pity party with them depending on what your cartouche says you have to do. Whatever the picture in your cartouche says you have to do, that's what you do. Because you don't have any choice about it, because you don't know how to unlock it, you don't know how to step apart from it, so you have to be it because you can't see it. We can suffer from this all our lives without realizing it. Patty's father is 81. All of his life, he has suffered from, I guess xenophobia is really the thing I would call it. He's just afraid of people. He won't have relationships. So his life gets more and more contracted, and as people who were okay die, he's left with fewer and fewer and fewer people that he can talk to, so he's more and more isolated. And so what's the point? When his wife dies, he's going to kill himself. That's, that's his plan. Okay, how do we get that way? Well, we, we suffer from it our whole lives without realizing it. We have buffers in place, so instead of having a Rosetta Stone that can unlock these things, we have buffers that keep them covered. The Rosetta Stone teaches us to practice remote note-taking. Yes, remote note-taking. I'm making all this up uh, as I go along. Remote note-taking I made up because it's really what self-observation really is. Self-observation really doesn't describe sufficiently what I want to say when I'm talking about it. So I'm trying to find new ways to say it. Remote note-taking. So what is remote note-taking? Remote note-taking is to step apart from the thing that you're noting and remotely, apart from it, note what you see. You're not connected to what you're taking notes with. You're in a separate space from what you're noting. And you're noting it. You're simply noting it. To note something, what does to note something mean? It's a slightly hazy day. Sunny but hazy. That's noting the day. That's all. Now, what would not noting the day be? God, aren't we ever going to have some rain? When's the sun going to shine Burn off all this haze. When is it going to be clear? I want to see the mountain. That's not remote note-taking. What is that? It's whining. It's internal consideration. It's, it, it's if only. It's all of the things that our cartouche, make us do when we can't decipher it, when we can't see it. It's what we have to be. Whiny, at effect, identified people who complain about something rather than do something about it who take it for granted rather than appreciate it, who can't live in a place where gratitude flows abundantly but have to live in a place where you whine about everything because it isn't right. It's being full of requirements. Well, what do you require to be happy? I require a better day. I require smiling people. I require people doing this. I require this. I require that. That is not remote note-taking. That's being in it up to your eyeballs so that you can't see it. So you're, see- you're not seeing it, you're being it. This Rosetta Stone, this esoteric teaching, teaches us how to do remote note-taking. Thereby we discover we are quite different from the highly stylized cartouche we've taken ourselves to be. These cartouches, if you've ever seen them, they're beautiful. Some of them are carved in stone and they're gorgeous. And some of them are painted. They're drawn and then painted. And the colors are beautiful. You know, These things that they found are just gorgeous and highly stylized. And a lot of people would think they look like cartoons, which is okay. You know, cartoons can be beautiful too. There's real art behind that. You know, people think, oh, well, that's just comic book art. Yeah, and have you ever tried to do that? It is very difficult. You know, these people have an economy of lines and an economy of colors, and they do a lot with that. It's really amazing what they can do put across with that. It's a whole art form in and of itself and it's something to be valued and appreciated, not something to be scoffed at and take it for granted. But then all of life is something to be valued and appreciated, but then you'd have to be here for it. But instead of being here for it, we're locked up in our cartouche, living life automatically, living life however the pictures say we have to live life. So we're living a cartoon of life instead of real life. It must be remote note-taking or else we fall into the cartouche. The oval or the oblong enclosing it is our self-justification. This fastens us to the life-produced cartouche. This cartouche, remembers this feeling of I, this feeling of ourself. It's how we feel ourselves. The cartouche is how we feel ourselves. And our self-justification of how we feel ourselves is how we keep it all intact. We keep the cartouche intact by justifying it. So you remember I said that the little rope, the oblong or the the oval surrounding the pictures could be like a buffer, but it's really, but I wouldn't call it a buffer, I would call it self-justification. Self-justification covers a multitude of sins. We keep a lot of things that we could easily get rid of if we would stop justifying ourselves. If we would stop making what's not real about us important through self-justification and defending it, we could get rid of a lot of things that are hindering us from finding a more real, a more centered, a more balanced feeling of I that we could begin to live our life out of, that we could begin to make decisions out of, that we could begin to think from and feel from and act from. There's a cosmic sigh of relief when we realize we've been trying to live life from a wrong feeling of I from the cartouche. When I say a cosmic sigh of relief, I mean exactly that. There is a sigh of relief when you begin to realize that all of this thing that you have been being in life, this unpleasant thing that you've been being, that you've been acting out, isn't really you. When you really get that, when you really realize that, there's a sigh that comes from so deep within you. It's just like, there's hope. Maybe I don't have to die like this. Maybe it is possible to change this. Maybe I could get closer to who I really am and put some distance between who I really am and this thing that's been living my life, that's been living life for me while I have been sleeping or while I have been occupied with mundane hamster running on the wheel thing, getting nowhere, staying like a glumpy hamster. Realizing we are not what we felt ourselves to be is the first stage in the separation and freedom. If we want to be free from this cartouche, if we want to be free from this feeling of I that, that really brings us so much grief, so much trouble, and brings so much grief and trouble and unpleasantness and negativity in the lives of other people, if we really want to be free from it and separate from it, we've got to realize that we are not what we felt ourselves to be. We, we've got to doubt what we feel ourselves to be. But this is who I am. Well it's better not to know who you are than to stay who you don't want to be. And the truth is, we don't really want to be who we are, who life has made us. We don't really want to be that. Even though we admire things about us, we don't really want to be that. Because all the things we're admiring are just the sides that we're looking at, the sides that we keep in the light. It's all the other stuff that's connected to that that's in the dark that creates all the problems. And the problems keep coming into our lives. And we think, well, why? Why is this happening to me? Why does this always happen to me? It always happens to you because of the side of yourself that you don't see. It always happens to you because of the side of yourself that you don't acknowledge. It's always happening to you because the side of yourself is creating that, that you never see in the light of day, that you never bring into the light of consciousness. That's why that's always happening to you. That's why it always repeats. That's why, it's not because all women are bad, and that's how come you can never have a relationship with a woman. It's not because all men are idiots, and that's how come you can never have a, relationship, a good relationship with a man. It's not because of that. It's because there's something in you that you don't see that needs to be brought into the light. You're, you're feeling yourself all one-sided, just what you admire about yourself. And even when you find something about yourself that you don't admire and admit that, then you admire the fact that you admit that. You get all puffed up about that. So when we realize that this feeling of ourselves is not really us, this beginning stage of separation and freedom, something else begins to be felt, sensed. But we can't tell what it is. And that's okay because the mind would just try to add it to its own cartouche. You see, the mind will just try and make a picture of it and put it in the cartouche. So it's okay not to know what it is that you are. It's better in the beginning to not know what it is that you are. If you knew in the beginning what you really were, your mind would simply conceptualize it and ruin it for you. And until we have a place where we can be outside of our minds, it's not safe to let the mind have too much information. Because we know what the mind does with information. And think about it. it's not a, It's not. The mind is not a nice thing. You know, Leonardo da Vinci had a great mind. What did Leonardo da Vinci create with that great mind? Well, the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper. And, you know, a lot of cool stuff, and helicopters, and weapons of mass destruction, <laughs> weapons of war. That's what the mind can be counted on to do. What is the most, what what advances technology more than anything else in modern day? The desire for more weapons to create war so that we can protect ourselves and get things from other people and take things from other people. War. Weapons. Technology for weapons. Technology for war. That's what technology is based on. Well, how can you say that? History Says it. I don't say it. History says it. If you don't want to look at that, fine. Or if you want to be formatory about it, say it's either or, that's fine too. But the majority of our technological advances has to do with the military saying, well, we can use that for a weapon. We can use that for this. We can use it. Why are we in space? Well, we wanted satellites. Why did we want satellites? Well, so that we could all talk on cell phones? No, no. We wanted satellites so we could spy on the other guy to see what they were doing. That's why we wanted satellites. And then we wanted satellites so that we could rain down death on them if they were doing something we didn't want them to do. Let's tell the truth about it. And that's why we financed it. And that's how technology went forward. That's how come you have cell phones and GPS in your cell phones. The GPS was a military thing. They finally let us have it. But they had it for a long time before we ever had it. And it's only recently that we've had where we can triangulate now and go within... Before, it was a, we could be within, you know, like 100 yards or something. But now we can, like, be within a, a, a half a meter of something with the GPS because now we have the same thing the military has. They've unlocked all that, and now we have that too. But they had it, and they kept it the secret for years. It was not available to us. So that's where technology is advancing. And that's why it's advancing there. You can fly around the world because they have jet engines. And what were those jet engines made for? Rockets to rain down death on somebody else. That's what they were made for. And then somebody decided, well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do something nice with it. But it was only an afterthought. <laughs> so something else can be felt. When we feel I differently, a change of being can happen. Why does a change of being happen when we feel I differently, when we have a different feeling of Ourselves I'll tell you why change of being happens because it's the only thing that can happen when you feel yourself Differently your being changes nothing can stop that it has to change it is a law It is the way the universe works It's not like well if I can just feel myself differently then I'll be able to change my being no No, if you feel yourself be if you feel yourself differently your being will just change it just changes. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it from changing. It does change. As you feel yourself differently, your being naturally changes. You become a different person. You are loosed from the cartouche. You are freed from it. And you begin to move outside of the oblong, the oval that encloses you. Change of being is bigger than the awe of the Rosetta Stone. You see, we say, oh, there's this key, there's this key. Oh, that's wonderful. And we're in awe of the fact that there is a key, there is a way. But change of being is bigger than that. And it's bigger than some realization about our cartouche. Oh, look, we're not really that. That's an inspiring, wonderful thing. When we really get it, when we have that realization, it's great. But that's not a change of being. A change of being is bigger than that. Change of being comes from feeling I differently. Feeling ourselves outside the cartouche. Only change of being is real. You can have realizations about the work and you can know all about this and about the Enneagram and all about this and all about that. and you can, you can just be locked up with all those things and be able to teach anybody all those things. But that's not change of being. Change of being is what this is all about. It's not about gathering more facts. It's not about how much you understand. Only change of being is real. And if all of your knowledge and all of your work amounts to no change of being then all of your knowledge and all of your work is wrong. And it's just that simple. Change of being is the only thing that matters. Change of being is the only thing that's important. Sometimes the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we're used to, we find that it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you're having problems with some person or situation, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.